Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, there's a difference between uh, knowing something about someone and actually knowing someone. Uh, Magic Johnson, some of you guys may be uh, fans of Magic. One person. I know that he went to Michigan State. I know in 1979 he was first round, first pick in, uh, for the Lakers. I know that he played 13 seasons, or at least I know this because the internet told me this. 13 seasons for the Lakers, averaged 19.5 points, 11.2 assists, 7.2 rebounds, and, and all that happened in 906 regular season games. He was selected to play in 11 All-Star games. He won three MVP awards, three finals MVP awards, and five NBA championships. And in 2002, he was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Without further ado, Mr. Magic. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Would that be amazing if he just showed up? I knew about him, but about a year ago, my boys, um, we found out that he was going to be in Gastonia for this meet and greet. And, and so knowing about someone, but also going to meet someone and to look him in the eye and to ask him, who's your favorite player in the NBA right now? And, and who, like, what's one of your favorite memories? And, and my boys were like, what should I do if I want to be in the NBA by 17? <laughs> He's like, well, there's a lot you got to do. Knowing something about someone and knowing someone is very different. This series, today in this series, and actually, if we're going to be honest, every time we get up on this stage, um, our invitation is not to just know Jesus, not just to know about him, rather, not just to know about him, but to know him, to get personal with him. The book of John, which we're covering uh, over the next seven weeks, uh, there's an underlying question, that entire book, and the question is, what is love? What is real love Look like you will see that in his letters, and, and he's obsessed with asking and answering that question through the life of Jesus. What is real love look like? Now, speaking of real love, I love Costco hot dogs, <laughs> right? Bug fitty, you get a, a dog and a drink. Why are you laughing? It's not funny, it's serious. Years ago, the CEO, the COO went to the CEO of Costco, and he said, hey, look, man, we're losing money on the hot dog. We're losing money. Can we bump it up 25 cent, 50 cent? Like, we shouldn't be losing money on this. And reportedly, the CEO said to him, and I quote, if you raise the price of the freaking hot dog, I will kill you. Figure it out. If you raise, <laughs> I will kill you. I don't think he did kill him because he didn't raise the price of the hot dog. It's been $1.50 uh, for a long time. Now, the reason I tell you this is a couple reasons, actually. I, I, want, I wanted to give you a little, like, you know, uh, a little help with lunch today. But I also, uh, there's something true of you, and it's true of me. Most of us like to keep things the same. Most of us like to keep things the same. We don't like a bunch of change. We really don't. We, we say we do, but we really don't. Now, this is a quote from me, and it might be a run-on sentence. It's a lot of words. <laughs> we do the things we do the way we do them 
because we have always done them that way. Is that a run-on sentence? Did someone say a couple commas? It's fine. We do the things we do the way we do them because we have always done them that way. And while most of us would never say that, we live our lives that way. We keep doing the same thing the same way because we've always done it. You do this all the time without maybe even thinking about it. You go to the same grocery store every week, don't you? Where's my Harris Teeter people? All right? Where are my, uh, my food line people? No shame. It's cool. It's cool. Why, why, are you shame, why, why are you so sad about it? Food line's cool, baby. Hold on. I'm getting there. Hold on. Calm down. You guys are so passionate about your grocery stores. Where are my Publix people? There's three of you. Y'all are so rich. Publix is... No, where are my Aldi people? Look at all these people. Look at all these people. One time, and I'll make fun of Gerald for a second. Uh, one time I was like, hey, you should check out Aldi or check out something. And he was like, I go to Harris Teeter. I know where everything is and every aisle is. I'm not changing grocery stores. I'm 50 years old. I'm not changing grocery stores. I don't have time for this in my life. Here's the debate that I'm not a part of, but maybe you guys are. Mayonnaise? Where are my Dukes people? What are the other, what are the other one? Hellman's? They're going to be fighting like uh, West Side Story in the, in the parking lot. <laughs> you do the same thing with sneakers. My mom got uh, white Reeboks in the 90s and early 2000s. Every year she'd get a white pair of Reeboks uh, for Christmas. You do the same thing with sneakers. You order the same thing at the same restaurants. I know you do. I know you do. Some of y'all, and this is okay, I'm not judging you. Some of you sit in the same seat every Sunday, and that's cool. That's totally cool. You do it. Right there. That seat right there. That is totally cool. My point is, we are creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit, and it feels, something about it feels really comfortable to know what we know, to do what we do, the way we do it, because we've always done it that way. Now, people a couple thousand years ago, they were, they were no different. They had their traditions and their preferences, and they had their schedules that they stuck to, and they did the things that they did because that's what they've always done. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, and he switches things up a bit. He shows up, and, and things get disruptive. Things get disrupted. Now, when I think about disruptions, and maybe you do too, I, I think there's a, a negative connotation, right? Like, your snoring disrupted my sleep. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Your kids were disruptive in class. Never heard that before. You were talking during class and it disrupted the entire class, Ethan. Never heard that before. Never got, never got that on my report card. Disruptions, though, they can be a good thing. Disruptions can be a good thing. Consider this. Look at the building around us. Before we were in this beautiful theater, there was a blue metal building here. It was a furniture place. Anybody went there? I went there one time, and I said, oh, that's a lovely table. And she said, that'll be $1 million. <laughs> and it was like, just an old, it was fine. And, you know, it was, it was, it was an old building. But at, at some point, they tore it down. And there was disruption. And, and cranes and bulldozers and tractors and construction work happened. And it was disruptive. It disrupted traffic and our office. <laughs> a lot of sounds. But it was a good disruption. It was good. This disruption brought progress and purpose. If you read the New Testament, and while we read through John, 
we see Jesus disrupting things around him. Disrupting the norm, disrupting certain uh, social traditions, certain social circles and ways of life. He disrupts what we thought was normal. And he never did this, never wants to bring chaos. He always had purpose in his disruption, always had purpose in those moments. So today, as we look at the next chapter of John, we see Jesus do something miraculous, but he does it in a very specific and unexpected way. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and if you didn't get one of these on your way in, I'm going to do a plug for these. There's cool little journals, uh, 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 the Gospel of John with, with a journal in it. If you don't have one, you can go get one in the lobby. Um, they're our gift to you. Um, so as we read this, you can definitely take notes. If I say anything, don't write down the freaking kill you thing. <laughs> don't write that down. <clears throat> it says this in John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So we see Jesus and his mom at a wedding. Verse 3 says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. He's He's like, Mary's like, Jesus, it's your time, buddy. You can do this. They have no wine. What are you going to do? Jesus said to her, Woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. My hour has not yet come. Mom, I'm not going to do anything about it. It's not time for me to do anything about it. And Mary does the most gangster thing I've ever seen. (laughs) She doesn't even respond to him. She just says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love it. I love it. Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6 says this, now there were six stone water jars. If you have a journal or you're taking notes, circle six stone water jars. They were there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he, he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9 says, When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Then the poor wine. Now circle this. But you have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And circle this last one. And his disciples believed in him. They believed in him. Well, right off the bat, this raises a question for me and maybe for you. Why was this his first miracle? Why was this his first miracle? And this is exactly why. Right here. Here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe to show he had authority to change the nature of things, that he had power over the physical world that we lived in. Maybe. Maybe to show that he was a provider, that he could meet our needs. Or maybe to show that he was relational. 
He wanted the party to keep going. He was so relational. I do know a few things that are worth mentioning in this story that, that should matter to me today and should matter to you today. The first thing is this. There were jars. There were jars. Jesus changes the things on the inside. He changes the things on the inside. It said he took six stone water jars. The contents of the jars were way more valuable to Jesus than the outside of the jar, than the exterior of the jar. Jesus did not come to change the exterior. They were only containers. He was much more interested in what was inside the container. I want to look at you and say that God looks at you regardless of your exterior. Regardless of your exterior. If you walked in today with a lot of money, or you were broke, or you're put together, or you're a hot mess, or you're successful, or you're washed up, or maybe you're the parent who makes homemade fruit snacks out of organic materials, or maybe you gave your kid an Oreo before 8.30 a.m., God looks at you, and he, he, he kind of looks past that. He looks past that. I wrote this down, and I'm going to read it two times because I want you to hear it. However you walked in today, I promise you, God is not scared away by your bad, and he's not that impressed by your good. He's not scared away by your bad, and he's not that impressed by your good. So however you walked in today, he's really interested in one thing, and that's your heart. He's interested in on what's on the inside. He's way more interested in your heart than anything on the outside or anything that you can be or do. He is interested in your heart. Jesus had, had, had water containers, but he didn't care. It was on the inside what mattered. The heart is what God cares about. Second thing is this. Jesus doesn't do the things that we think he should do. He does things a little differently. It said, after serving the wine, the master of the feast said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Everybody's drunk. No one cares if you have good wine. Bring out the crappy stuff. But Jesus doesn't do it that way. If Jesus is going to do something, he's going to do it his way. The master of the feast said, but you have saved the best until now. Good wine first is always tradition. But Jesus disrupts that. He brings the best wine last. He does the unimaginable, a miracle, and he does it his own way. He does it his own way. The master of the feast knows it's good and is shocked that they would serve it this late in the evening. He was shocked. My son um, is, is almost nine years old, and he, uh, I was watching him get dressed the other day. It takes him forever to get ready for school, like forever. And he was getting his socks and shoes on, and everyone in the world, I don't care where you're from or what language you speak, you go, sock, sock, shoe, shoe. <laughs> right? It's sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Now, left or right, it's your preference, but so he went sock, shoe, and then just walk around the house with just one... It's like, I'm, a, I'm raising a serial killer. He went, he went sock, shoe, waited 10 minutes, and then went sock, other shoe. This was crazy. It's crazy. He marches to the beat of his own drum. I'm telling you. Everyone thought that the Messiah 
would come and, and establish his kingdom on this earth through force and power. That Jesus was here as the king through force and power, but, but he establishes his kingdom through grace and sacrifice. Everyone thought that the Messiah would, would probably sit at, I mean, at least I probably would have, sit at tables with kings and, and high-ranking officials and religious people of the day. But Jesus spent his time with outcasts, people that other people hated, prostitutes and tax collectors, rejects. Time and time again, Jesus surprised the people who was around him. Time and time again, he surprises those who were close to him. And maybe, maybe you think you've pegged Jesus. I've, I've figured him out. I've figured him out. He's in a, in a very certain way. And if that's you, because of your maybe religious past or upbringing, I would, I would encourage you to look closer. To look closer, maybe because of your background or, or what you just think about God or Jesus, you think that he's a punisher or he's distant or he's judgmental. Look closer. Because maybe what you'll find is surprising. The third thing I want to mention is this. After an encounter with Jesus, you will never be the same. It says, for the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him because they saw something powerful. You know what would happen if you went to a wedding where uh, someone took jars of water and turned them into wine? Well, first you'd be like, I got to meet this magic wine man. Where's that magic wine man at? Y'all, in your notes, you literally only wrote, hot dog Costco, wine. It's like a shopping list. Stay with me, I promise. You know what would happen if you went to a wedding where someone turned water into wine? You would never stop talking about it. Every time you went to a wedding, or someone talked about a wedding, or you drank wine, or someone talked about wine, or you drank water, remember that time that Jesus turned this into wine? You would talk about it constantly. I would. It'd be a crazy thing to see. A crazy thing to see. An encounter with Jesus changes you. It changes us. That encounter, well, it'll make the greedy generous, and it'll make the grumpy joyful, and it will make the judgmental compassionate. An encounter with Jesus it changes things. Now, I know something true of you that maybe you haven't even thought about. I would bet that you are here because you want your life to be different. Maybe you were, you, someone like, you know, invited you. Um, maybe you kicked and screamed on the way in. But I would think that you said yes, finally, because you want your life to look different. If you didn't, why would you be here? That's like going to the gym and just, I'm going to go work out, but stay unhealthy. Or I'm going to go to a restaurant and stay hungry. You came here because you wanted something to be different. You wanted something to be different. I want to be a, a better dad, maybe, or a, or a better spouse, or a, a better employee, or a, a better boss, or a better neighbor. I want to be, something's got to change 
Because what's going on right now, it's not working for me. Whatever's going on right now is it's just it's broken. And, and maybe you've tried a lot of other things. And here you are, looking for change. But you're not going to get that change by modifying the exterior. You're not going to get that real change by, by modifying your behavior. You're not. It, it might feel different for a bit, but you're just going to feel the same way you've always felt. You're going to get right back into that creature of habit kind of, kind of mode. If you, if you want to change, if you, if you want real change, I think the question to ask yourself is this one. My way or his way? A- am I going to live my way or his way? And, and for you, maybe that's a, that's a pretty hefty question. And I get it. Am I going to live my way or his way? Am I going to choose my thing or his thing? Am I going to choose to say my words or his words? Jesus did a lot of things that were counterculture, that were against the grain, that surprised a lot of people. What would your life look like? What would my life look like if we allowed him to disrupt something? If we really allowed him to disrupt something in my life, how would my life change? How would my life change? Because I believe, and I believe this because I've tried a lot of, lot of other ways, but I believe that a, an encounter with Jesus is life changing. How would my life change? If you allow it, here is Jesus' invitation. He says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me, and as you follow me, I'm going to disrupt some things. I'm going to disrupt some things, not for chaos, but for purpose. I might disrupt your schedule. I might disrupt your priorities. I might disrupt your relationships. If you'll allow me, if you'll follow me, as you follow me, I'm going to disrupt some things in your life. Not for chaos but for purpose. How would your life be different if you allowed him to disrupt some things? And and listen, I'm not saying you have to sell everything and and move to a a different part of the world. No. Your life could look different in like, I'm going to go to the grocery store today. I'm going to food line today. But but his way. I'm going to have a family dinner tonight with my in-laws, but his way. I'm going to look at this a little differently. I'm going to look at it his way. I'm going to allow him to disrupt the relationship his way. I've got dinner this week with my coworkers. I'm dropping my kids off at school. I'm having a, a conversation with my neighbor his way. Not my own, but his way. Could we get to a place? Could we get to a place where we could say, I'm going to submit my life. I'm going to submit my heart to your will and to your way. That may seem like a lot. So maybe for you, it's like, could you get to a place where you're like, I want to explore who this winemaker is. I want to learn more about this person turning water into wine. I want to talk to... um, 
two groups of people in the room. And, and I, I want to be incredibly clear. I don't do this to make you feel excluded or to make you, you feel lesser than. I do this because I want to let you off the hook. I want to let you off the hook. I, I realize that in a room this size, there is a spectrum of people with all kinds of backgrounds and current faith situations. And I want to honor that. Honor that you're here. And I want to honor and offer a next step that applies to you. And so for anyone in the room who would say, you know what, I am a, I am a Christ follower, I would ask this. Have you gotten comfortable and become a creature of habit? Have you stopped allowing Jesus to disrupt things in your life? When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the car line, when you go to your neighbor's house for dinner, does it just feel like, ah, this is just the way it is, I guess? Or are you allowing Jesus, as you follow him, to impact those things, to change those things, to disrupt those things, to make those things better, to bring progress and purpose in those things? Have you gotten so busy on the outside? Have you gotten so busy and so consumed with doing that's, that it, it seems like you all only care about just doing that you forgot about this. Don't forget, the jars didn't change. Only the inside did. Don't get too wrapped up in doing and forget about this. Forget that this is actually all he cares about. It's my heart. Because out of that comes this. Stop worrying about doing and allow him to disrupt this heart of yours. To the person in the room who is a skeptic, maybe. Maybe you believe, maybe you don't, maybe you're kind of looking for that water to wine situation in your life. Maybe you're, you're looking. Imagine what the servants were thinking when they were filling up those jars with water. This man's crazy. This man is, what are we doing here? They need wine. Let's go get wine. But this man's asking us to put water in a jar. Why are we doing this? But they did it anyway. They chose to take a small step, whether they realize it or not, a small step of faith. And because of that, their lives were changed forever. The encounter they had with Jesus and what they witnessed made them believe. So for the skeptic in the room, or maybe the atheist in the room, or maybe the person that's like, ah, I believed as a kid, I don't know what I believe now. I believed as a, as a teenager, I don't know what I believe now. To you, to anyone in the room who's struggling, would you consider would you consider allowing Jesus to disrupt one area of your life? I understand giving your, your life and your heart to something is a lot. That could be a lot. Would you consider one area? You know what? I'm going to actually allow Jesus to disrupt my finances or 
allow him to disrupt my schedule. I'm going to wake up a little extra early. I'm going to check out this, this gospel of John for myself. I'm going to wake up a little early and have Jesus disrupt my schedule. You know what? I'm, I'm going to have that conversation with that coworker. I'm going to allow Jesus to disrupt my friendships. Would you consider that step? Because I promise you, I guarantee it, an encounter, an up-close encounter with Jesus, you'll never be the same. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.